I'm Fleur East and you're listening to the reality of reality TV. As a fan of reality shows, I wanted the chance to geek out on everything to do with reality TV to find out what it's like behind the episodes, how it's made and how it affects people's lives. Hi, I'm JB from JLS and I'm here to tell you all about my realities of reality TV. This time, I jumped online and caught up with JB Gill, who was part of one of the biggest boy bands of the decade, who made their mark on The X Factor. I wanted to speak to JB because he's one of my best mates, but I wanted you to know how difficult reality TV actually is. And how did he go from a boy band member to a farmer? So today I am joined by JB. Hey, what's up, Flair? Yeah. So, welcome to my podcast, Reality of Reality TV. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, I couldn't discuss this topic without talking to you, Jay, because not only have we known each other for a very long time, yeah, but most people will know you from being in the huge boy band, JLS. Yeah. Obviously, famously entered into the stratosphere by X Factor which I've also done. But then besides that, you've done quite a bit on reality TV. <laughs> I have actually. <laughs> you have, haven't you? Yeah. You did Strictly Come Dance in the Christmas special. Yeah. You did The Jump. Yeah. You did Dance, Dance, Dance with your wife, Chloe. I did. You did MasterChef. Oh, I thought you might have left that one out, but you've done your research well, yeah. <laughs> I did do MasterChef. You also did a mini little reality thing with, with your wife, Chloe, on ITV2. Yeah. Was it Seven Days With? It was Seven Days With, yeah. So, I mean, you've been around the houses. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I've had lots of different environments of reality TV, lots of situations that I've been in. Um, and as you say, lots of different types of TV. There's like so many myths surrounding reality TV and I get asked so many similar questions. So was it really like this or is it is it really like that? Like what we see, there's so many questions, but they always seem to be the same questions. So there's a lot of myths that I just kind of want to clear up. And before we got together today, I asked you to put together, you did some homework for me. Thank you. Yep. Very yep. studious. <laughs> you put together realities that are real to you after having so many various experiences in reality TV. So we're gonna go through each of them. Now, before I say your first one, this is one of my realities as well. So typically whenever I meet anybody and they ask me about my experience on The X Factor, there's sort of this assumption that you're going through your day-to-day -day life, you get plucked out of nowhere, <laughs> put on this reality show and all of a sudden you're a star overnight and there's no story or any groundwork before that. Yeah. You and I know that that is not the case. And there's a whole backstory that people do not even realize. So your first reality is not every band on a TV talent show is manufactured. Yes. We've always told people that when we went onto the show, it was almost a last resort, to be very honest with you. I've got friends and family who've been involved in music. And similarly, the other boys have, you know, either been in music themselves. You know, Marvin used to be in, in VS and, you know, had almost a career before the career. Aston had been dabbled in with acting and performing and all different bits and pieces. Risha had been on, on the, um, the soul music scene 
of course, historically, when it came to being signed or, you know, releasing your own records or whatever, it was kind of, it was a process, you know, you got signed or you got a manager and they got you signed and then you sort of put your album together and then you release your music. Now, when we were just about to, well, just before we went to, through the X Factor, we'd probably been doing that for about a year and a half. We'd had a couple of brushes with, with some decent managers who, you know, showed us some interest and helped us get songs together, put us in the studio. We'd done best unsigned act competitions and basically put ourselves about to try and get spotted, get signed, you know, get someone like a Simon Cowell interested. We'd done all of that. And at the time, of course, it, it wasn't really a, a band phase, you know, yeah. the, the S clubs and, you know, mm-hmm. all of those types of bands had come and gone really. And it was kind of an indie phase, I guess, where you had lots of, like, you know, McFly, Busted, all those guys, you know. For us, it was a case of, is this going to work? We felt we had talent. We felt we had something there. And it was just a case of, right, let's try and do whatever we can to get signed. As I say, we'd done that for about a year and a half and being under 20, fresh out of college and uni and all of that sort of stuff, you know, resources dried up. You know, we'd exhausted all of our avenues. And for one reason or another, we'd not got to the stage where we were actually signing a deal. And after we'd sort of spent pretty much most of our money, we mm-hmm. said to ourselves, listen, maybe we should look at doing the X Factor. And the reason why we did that is because the X Factor always had a group category, but typically the group category was really weak. And we just felt, you know what? We haven't got anything to lose. We feel there's talent here. We feel that we've got a good chance to get to the live shows at the very least. And if they're going to put a group together, they're not going to be better than us. Yes. So, do you know what I mean? So that's kind of the attitude that we had. And of course, you know, in a humble way, you know, we, we mm. worked hard, as you know, you know, we were very, very hard working. We made sure we were on our stuff. We made sure, you know, but because we'd had that experience of the 18 months or so together, we, we could rehearse something overnight and perform it the next day. Like yeah. boot camp wasn't a big deal for us in that sense. Although it's a new song, like we could put harmonies together. We could put all our parts together, run through it say you do this you do that blah 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 it, I mean it wasn't difficult we don't have to work out who's mm. going to sing what when they're going to sing it how they're going to sing it and fight over it so we felt we had that in our favor and that's kind of how we ended up making the decision to do the show and the rest as they say is history Cheryl I love you I think the industry's missing a boy band I think yes you're cute you're really cute yeah, thank you but I thought your arrangement was amazing and your, the vibe between the four of you is really nice I really enjoyed it it's interesting though because like you say you had so much experience under your belt so it's almost like when you got to the x factor you had challenges but all of your experience was all prep for that competition in a way it's like you knew everything you had your skill set you knew how to work together it's like for example i remember my experience in the x factor when it came to the semi-final week and i performed uptown funk Now, the challenge in that for me was that, one, they changed my song the day before the live show. It was a song that no one knew. So it was like, "Ah, this is kind of a risk on a talent show where people kind of typically vote for songs that they know and are familiar with. yeah. But then I remember people sort of saying to me, how did you manage to do that? Because yet again, there's this stereotype that you're just going through your day-to-day life and then this opportunity just falls into your lap. And all of a sudden now you're performing on stages. Whereas you and I know there was years of live shows. So all of that was all the prep that I needed leading up to the Uptown Funk performance. That wasn't just overnight. That wasn't just, oh, through my expect experience. That was years and years of graft. Definitely. I mean, I, I would I would just say that it's it's not an accident. 
through the show, you know, and you'll you'll be able to attest to this, through the show, you learn so much. And it's kind of your attitude through the show, how you deal with the vocal coaches, how you work with the choreographers, how you work with the creative direction, how you work with your mentor, how you work with the other members, contestants in, in the, the group, you know, or in the competition. And all of that adds up, you know, how you speak to the people working behind the scenes you know producers and stuff like that you know all of that is is a lesson and, and it's something that you you take going forward once the show's finished you know and, and you know hopefully you, you go on to have a, a great career and obviously there's been so many people who've gone through that show and done fantastically well all of them can you know hold that experience as kind of the formative years you know if it was their start mm. and for us even though it wasn't our start for me I always say it's like a crash course in the music industry. That's what I say. It is. Because you do everything. You do photo shoots, you do magazines, you do press, you do, fo- you know, you do everything. You know, you do your rehearsals, you do performances, you have to interact with people, you have to speak to fans. Like, I never really had that experience before I did the show, mm. even though musically, you know, we kind of had that together as a group. Yeah, I think there's also kind of this idea that anyone who goes onto a reality TV show is kind of just hungry for fame. But then what I've always tried to explain to people is that, like you said, we've heard from you, your story is like years and years of trying. You put the effort in, you see an opportunity, a platform that's going to help you achieve that dream that you've worked so hard towards. What I want to ask is how did you adjust to the fame? I've always taken a matter of fact approach. Probably I'm a bit too matter of fact, but I always knew that whatever it was our craft was, which of course was music and our blend as a a group, that was always coming first. And I always knew that everything else was part of that. If you do a great job at what your craft is, everything else comes, whether it's money, fame, female attention for us, whatever it might have been, all of those things, whatever you are, if you do a good job at your craft, at your thing, those accolades come, you know, even if you're a scientist, if you're a great scientist, guess what? People recognize the things that you do, the Mm -hmm. research that you've done, it gets put in books and you're remembered forever. So I always took that approach when it came to our music. And I think that's one of the reasons why we were so successful. Our focus wasn't on, you know, meeting girls and doing whatever and being on that stage and so on and so forth. Yes, we had the aspiration of being on certain stages and performing at certain, whether it's the Brits or winning Brits or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. We had lots of goals that we wanted to achieve, but they weren't the focus. The focus was to have great music. You know, the focus was to get to the final of the X Factor because we knew that was the platform. It wasn't so much being on the live shows. It was actually being in the final, having millions of people watching you and rooting for you and do you know I mean, we knew that, as I say, the rest would come. So when it came to fame and, and adjusting to that, there was definitely an adjustment, but you do learn quickly, you know? And as I say, like handling sort of fans running up to you and saying, can you do this? Can you do that? Can we take a photo? You know, I've, you know, I've had people sort of run up to me and literally like almost headlock me because they wanted a photo and stuff. I've been out with Chloe. You've probably been with me at times, you know, I've been out with Chloe mm. and, you know, we're having a meal together and just spending time with each other. And then all of a sudden people like sat at their tables taking photos of us. Do you know what I mean? And stuff like that's not comfortable, but you do come to get to grips with that and how you handle that as well. I'm just very frank and open. I just say to people, listen, I'm in a rush. Mm-hmm. I've got to keep going. So walk with me. And we do a photo and it's on the movie. It's not a perfect photo, but at least they're happy. I'm happy. I've been in situations where Chloe and I have had paparazzi following us. And I'm, I've just told that the the driver that I've had, you know, just driving us or whatever said, oh, we've got people following us. I'm going to try and like get through the lights and do this. And I said, no, 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 no. Pull over. Went and talked to them, asked them what the situation is. So I said, oh, yeah, well, they've got a new romance. We've got to take this photo. So I was just like, cool, let them take a photo. I took a photo. And guess what? They moved on. 
Yeah. No one's yeah. following me home. No one's crashing my car. No one's getting knocked off a su- scooter and, and suing me. I just feel. <laughs> yeah. but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, I just, as I say, take a very matter of fact, fact approach to it. Just be real, because at the end of the day, whether it's a fan or paparazzi or whatever, they're people. You know, and if you can mm-hmm. reason with them and keep them on side, it's win-win. You know, they get their photo. You get to go home in peace. They don't know where I live. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and you know I, I can go I can go back to my little bubble mm, it's interesting though because just as you were talking you were sort of given an insight into your real life and like you said into your bubble and this is another thing that I think people don't realize and will move us on nicely to your second reality <laughs> reality tv always features real people with real lives <laughs> before all this happened I was just JB. In fact, before that, I was Jonathan Benjamin Gill. So, you know, there's layers to my life. I might be JB from JLS, or I might be JB on Songs of Praise, or I might be JB from Down on the Farm, or I might be a lot of things to lots of different people. Like those different people, if you want to call them that, are still Jonathan Gill, that is 33 years old and is the son of, you know, Keith and Cynthia and blah, 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 blah. You, Fleur, you have your story. Mm -hmm. You know, any person that you see on any TV show, whether it's the Kardashians or anything in between, they're individual people. They have Mm -hmm. a story, they have a life. You know, when the camera is off, they have things that they want to do, things that they don't want to do. When the camera's on, they have things that they perhaps don't want to do and have to do. We're all people at the end of the day. And when we've seen, you know, obviously the situation that we find ourselves in, a very unique situation with COVID-19, you just see real, really and truly how much people are people and we have real lives. We're all affected by the same things. Whether you're on TV or whether you're uh, working in the NHS, you know, we all have the same level of risk. I think when anyone sees you on TV, it's sort of like there's this idea of this like mystical world of TV and anybody that is through that screen doesn't live a regular life and they're not like the average person on the street. And I remember this just reminded me of a time where I was out eating and I'd been rehearsing all day long. I think I had like a nine hour rehearsal day. And so we were all knackered. I had like my choreographer with me, dancers with me, the whole team. And I was like, let's go out and eat. So we sat down and we were like, okay, let's order our food. Like we're starving, right? (laughs) And this guy came over and said, hi, um, my daughter's a huge fan. She's sitting over there. Can we please get a picture with you? Now, I noticed they just got their food. Mm. So I said to him, oh, yeah, 100%. I'll definitely come over and take a picture. But we've just sat down from rehearsal. So can we just order our food and just sit down for a second? And I'll make sure that you won't leave here without a picture. I'll come over to you 100% and take a photo with with your daughter. Mm. So he was like, okay, cool. So we sat down, ordered our food, debriefing from the day, just having a nice little chat, enjoying just sitting down for a moment went up to get our cutlery and the dad came over to me and said, we're sitting here. Where's this photo? And I was like, Oh, well, sorry, sir. I'm, I'm just getting my cutlery. I'm going to just go over to the table and I'll definitely take the picture. Don't worry. So I went to put my cutlery down at the table. He then screamed at me from across the room and said, what? Not even coming to take the picture. Well, do you know what? Enjoy your 15 minutes of fame, love. Wow. And I was like, whoa, this is such an extreme reaction. Mm. And immediately this woman ran over to me and she said, I'm really sorry. I just want to apologize on behalf of that man. Just because you've been on television, don't ever feel that you're obliged to do what we ask or don't ever you know, bow down to people who feel that they own you. 
Like you don't, you don't, you know, you don't owe that to anybody. She was like, I'm really, really sorry about that. And I remember when she said that to me, I thought that's really interesting. She came and said that to me because I was like, yeah, maybe people do feel like a sense of ownership because they do. especially if you've been on a show, like they voted for you, they picked up the phone. You, the least you can do is take a picture with me. And I think people do forget that you are still a regular person. Do you know what? It, it's kind of been that that age old, I say disconnect. And it was what, you know, the, the entertainment industry thrived on because, you know, you look at some of the greatest artists in history, you know, the Michael Jackson, stuff like that. It was always that, always that element of untouchability, that element of mystery that made them so massive because no normal person could get close to them. So if as a normal person, mm. you got close to them, it's kind of like, I've done all this stuff for you. I just want to have a piece of you. But of course, for that person, whether it's Michael Jackson, us, whoever, you've not experienced that. It's hard for you to understand an experience, of course. Literally millions of people sat in front of their, their television yeah. with their phone on redial or whatever, voting for you. True. You know, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. I find that's often where a lot of artists really struggle. You look at Adele as an example. She loves her music. Mm. And when she came through, like, she could walk down Oxford Street and no one would even look at her. They knew her music, but they didn't necessarily know her. I've got a funny story with Adele. I walked down Oxford Street, I bumped into her, and she went, Hi, JV, how you doing? Da, 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 da. And I had a full-blown conversation with her, and I didn't know it was her. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you. I was looking at her like, I know your face, but... Are you a fan? Like, do you want to do a photo? And I must have brushed her no. off. Like, honestly, I must have brushed her off and just said, "Oh yeah, should we do a photo quickly?" And then I did like a photo with her, or whatever. And then I was like, "All right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll see you later." And she she went. She said a few times, oh, "That's me, Adele." And I was just like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, hi Adele, babe." Honestly, and then like a couple of weeks later, she's on the X Factor, obviously, as you do. And I was on there as well. I saw, I was in the audience or whatever, and I saw her, and I went, "I'm so so sorry." She must have thought I was so rude, but like with the greatest respect, you know, because she's like, her music not a bit different now, but her music then, the first album was so powerful, did obviously incredibly well, but she still had a relative level of anonymity, if you want to call it that. It's difficult when, you, when you're when used to that level of anonymity. Now her music's on such a pedestal. Anywhere she goes, she's recognised. Yeah. You know, she said it herself. She doesn't particularly enjoy touring because mm-hmm. for her, she likes to sing the songs. She doesn't particularly like, you know, having loads of people. She gets nervous. Mm. I'm actually the person that just loves music. I'm yes. not the person that wants people screaming in my face necessarily or wants to be on the biggest stage in the world necessarily, you know. And some people live for that. They love to perform. They love to be up in front of people and whatever mm-hmm. else. And you see the different characters, in fact, especially with, with JLS. You know, so, something that I found with with footballers, you know, a lot of them grow up just wanting to play football or play for their team yeah. or be the best in the world. They don't grow up thinking, do you know what? I want to be on TV and be talking to all the fans or with my girlfriend in all the tabloids. Mm. Their focus is to play football. But of course, with that comes an expectation of whether it's charity work or you saw it with David Beckham. He wasn't a great speaker, arguably still mm. isn't a great speaker, but he was expected to do that because of his profile, because of how big he really was. And now it's part of him and, and arguably it's made him a better David Beckham. When you look at his early days, his focus was just playing football. And for a lot of artists, actors, whatever, that's their dream. Their dream is to be on stage doing the best shows, winning Oscars or whatever it is, winning Brits, winning Grammys. And all the other stuff comes and you mm-hmm. kind of do have to adjust to it. 
Yeah, and I think as well, like, obviously we've seen a lot of um, trolling on social media. Mm. And typically one of the responses is always, ah, oh, well, you put yourself out there. You've got to just be willing to take it. So just deal with it. But the thing is, like you said, it's real people with real lives yeah. who have not always the desire to be famous. It's a desire to succeed at the highest level within their craft. Yeah, but It's like, you know, it's hard, isn't it? So have you ever had a moment where you're like, this reality TV is affecting my reality. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm always conscious of it. I, perhaps less so now because I'm at that stage where I feel like I don't, there's not, not anything for me to prove. Mm-hmm. But yeah, historically, there was a, you know there was a time where you think I need to get my hair cut because it's got to be fresh. <laughs> and if I'm doing this TV show, I suppose that's where the diva side can come out a bit because mm-hmm. there's always an expectation and you feel like you've got to fit that bill. Chloe and I do it all the time. She says, no, no, you can't wear that. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what I want to wear. <laughs> right. I mean, I want to wear tracksuits and get in my whatever, but no, mm. actually, what if someone stops you and takes a photo? I remember we used to have to, to set aside like 15, 20 minutes before we had to be at any meeting or any place in order to take photos. Because if we got stopped, our policy was kind of, we got to take the photos, yeah. but it's still not appropriate to be late. Over time, it's become a, more of a professionalism. <laughs> So you and I know, being through different reality TV experiences, that what people don't see is the people behind the camera. So on the X Factor, huge crew, like (laughs) cameramen, lighting guys that are literally in the ceiling, pointing spotlights on you. For example, in the jungle, there's people hiding in rocks, (laughs) filming you, like the hidden cameras everywhere. There were people that, they were called loggers and they'd log what you were doing from second to second like that fascinating really i learned about this whole crew and i was like oh my goodness there's so much going on but like for example you'd know that someone was in a rock somewhere yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. start trying to like make them laugh or (laughs) you'd hear someone cough in a tree and you'd be like ah there's someone there that you know (laughs) this is so this is your next reality that you listed for me a reality tv show isn't only the people in front of the camera those people who are not in front of the camera are as much a part of the, of the TV show as everybody else. And they're living their real life because day to day they get up and they shoot a camera or they get up and they log or they get up and they hide in rocks mm-hmm. <laughs> on the jungle. <Yeah. laughs> so I always just remember to be grateful for those people, to thank those people. For some shows, I'm sure having a great relationship with you know the producer or with you know, the runner or the logger or whatever. I'm sure, well, maybe in your situation, you know, if you could get a few extra beans or rice or whatever, I would have tried it, (laughs) you know? Having a relationship with those people is just as important, I believe, as delivering your performance or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's important to remember those guys because it doesn't work without one of them. Oh, my gosh, so important. And you also form, like, really close bonds with them because, for example, like on X Factor, before you go on stage, you'll always have the same person that will show you your place or where you're going to wait backstage or they'll see you moments before you go and perform this like amazing song or something that's like a life-changing moment. You see them, they're the last person you see before that happens. And it's hard to explain, but it's like, it's such a close connection with people. And you're so vulnerable in those environments as well. Like for example, when we were in the jungle, we'd go to like the Bush Telegraph and you'd talk to someone, you wouldn't see them, but there'd be a voice that you'd like chat to. And it's like, you're missing your family you're hungry, you're tired. There's all these emotions, like even on the X Factor similar, you're missing just being at home in your own bed. Like you're living in this house with all these people that you've just met. You offload some of that emotion to the cast and the crew. 
And I remember even coming out of the show on, on the jungle and we met the crew for the first time. These people yeah. that, <laughs> these voices we'd heard when we yeah. were like crying in this Bush Telegraph. And they came up, to, I remember one woman come up to me and she was like, hey, Florista. That's what she always used to call me when I go into the Bush Telegraph. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like crying. Because it's like, you were like my therapist through this experience. like, And you're here. It's yeah. like... It is crazy. Do you know what I mean? And I've had situations like that. And one of the things that I've always remembered as well is once I finish my performance or my time, a lot of the time, the people who are filming it, editing it, they're still working. Yeah. They work so hard. And if you think how tired you are mm-hmm. as a performer, you can imagine they're exactly. putting in hours, man. And mm-hmm. so it's important to respect that, especially with the X Factor as well. You know, I remember. One of the relationships that you often forget about is in the can- canteen. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, we always remembered everybody's names. That was kind of just mm-hmm. like a thing that Jonas had. And I think everyone knows that we're, that's what we're like. You know, between the four of us, we all know everybody's name. Yeah. To having a two minute conversation with somebody that doesn't see anything else other than you for two seconds giving you a spoonful of food. Exactly. Makes a world of difference. And, and it works in your favour. I remember yeah. there were times when, we, you'll probably remember this, there were times when you finished rehearsing really, really late and you had to go home. And back in those days anyway, you had to make food for yourself and do all of that, do your own shopping, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I remember we just walked in there one day and we said to Colin, who was the guy running the cafeteria. Yes, right Colin. Yeah, you know, you know Colin. Yes. I, said to him, I said to him, oh, Colin, man, have you got any more of that chicken left over? Oh, I shouldn't really, but for you boys, anything. And he like went in his fridge and sorted it all out and did like four little boxes for us. It's probably just like a bit of chicken and rice and I don't know, cucumber or whatever. But you know what I mean? Like that was our dinner that night and that made all the difference. It's important, you know, to remember those relationships because again, you know, we meet so many different people. For us, it it might well be just another fan or just another crew or just another TV show or whatever. But those people, that might be their only show that they ever work on. Mm -hmm. That might be the only time they ever meet a member of JLS or the only time they ever meet JLS. Yeah. So for them, that that lasts a lifetime. And so as I say, it's important to kind of leave a lasting impression. And hopefully, well, most people want that impression to be a good one. I completely agree with you on that one. Like, I think we're very similar in that regard. Like, I would always speak to every single person that was on that crew. I'd spend time talking to the people that... That's how I knew there were people up in the ceiling in X Factor, (laughs) moving spotlights. I'd literally spoke to them and I was like, so when do you eat? What if you need to go to the toilet, like, in the middle of a live show? And they're like, well, tough. You just got to keep that spotlight. I was like, how is this? This is crazy. And I think when you speak to everyone... And you recognize all the moving parts within a show and everything that contributes to making it what it is. You appreciate the experience so much more. And I think you have a lot more respect. You have respect for people that are working on it. And it's really important to be humble. It's so important. Whoever's had a lasting career in the industry and whoever's done very well is the people that are respectful, the people that are humble, the people that show their gratitude and make time for everybody. And more importantly, work hard. Like you said, it was the crash course. into the industry the x fact in particular i always say that as well because it's so intense nothing that i've experienced i mean i've even been to uni i've done a fifteen thousand word dissertation like you've studied like (laughs) nothing compares to that x factor experience i remember a time where i sat down one afternoon like backstage before a live show i sat down somewhere and there was no one around a rare moment it was really quiet and i sat down in this chair and i was like i'm so grateful to just sit down unless you were asleep 
you're literally working always even when you got home like sometimes there were paps outside and stuff like that mm. you're always doing something I remember to, especially towards the latter stages you just mm. you weren't in with the choreographer or with the vocal coaches or with your mentor or with the boys then you were you know focusing on the tv stuff and doing shooting all the in-between bits mm. going to this event going to that event talking to the press doing this photo shoot you just did not stop I've always had quite a high work ethic and I hate letting people down and I hate being wrong as well so I don't want to do things that are going to be like oh JB messed up there you know so for me you're just continually trying to keep that work ethic going yeah work ethic is so important it is really important that was one of the first things that we said to our live agent as soon as we came out of the X Factor. We just sat down and, and spoke to management and stuff. We were still unsure whether we were going to get signed or not because Simon said he was only going to sign one of the acts from the, the show that year. And we just sat down with the live agent and said, you know what, we've got an opportunity here. We came out of the show basically last. We don't have all this promo and stuff to do for the winner's single, but we're, we're basically the top bill going into the sort of club gigs and pub gigs and all that, you know, all that, you know, all that sort of stuff. So you need to get us as many gigs as you possibly can in the period that we can before this tour, you know, the X Factor tour. And they were like, yeah, yeah well, we can do, you know, a gig and I, blah, blah, blah. I said, I, said to, I turned around and I said to our agent at the time, how many gigs can you get every night? He said, well, <laughs> we could probably do two. And I said, okay, well, if we're on stage at nine o'clock somewhere, why can't we be on stage in a similar area at 11 or half 11? And then why can't we finish on stage somewhere else at about one o'clock? Yeah. And then we'll drive home and be done at three. Yeah, yeah, well, we could, we could, we could see if that could happen. And I promise you now, every single night, and I mean every night, maybe there was one or two nights off, every night from the week of New Year to the X Factor Tour, which I think was in March that mm -hmm. year, we did three gigs a night up and down the country every wow. night. Wow. Yeah. And we instigated that. I believe that's one of the reasons why we had such huge success when we released Beat Again. We'd interacted with so many people, probably hundreds of thousands of people by that point. You know, even if you've got a room full of 300 people, you're doing three gigs a night for three months. Like, you can do the math. I would say that X Factor experience, if I had to go back and do it all over again, <laughs> I would. If I had to relive it now, absolutely no way. No. I couldn't do it, man. Same. It's too much. <laughs> this is what I always say to people coming up in the game like upcoming singers or anybody that kind of looks at reality tv and goes ah oh, like how hard can that be and I'm always like oh you if only you knew and also if being famous is your motivation as we mentioned before you're not gonna last because it is so hard that you've got to have some love for what you're doing because you cannot sustain a career like fame's gonna burn out quick and like I get tired now still so I'm like juggling so many different things and I'm exhausted. And I'm not even a parent yet, Jay. <laughs> what is your reality like now? Because you own a farm. <laughs> You're like selling award-winning turkeys at Christmas. Yeah. You're literally like looking after animals. What is the hard work like now? Well, the hard work now is, is more a case of juggling. Now I've got a few different hats. So the focus isn't just one industry. When I come home... I'm a businessman because mm -hmm. I've got to organise, you know, the farm and do all that sort of stuff. That in itself has so many different roles because there's the care and the, the, you know, looking after the animals. There's strategising and making the right decisions for the following year. Mm. Then there's the actual, the business side of it, the admin side of it. Mm. I've always been business minded in my mentality. And I've always believed that as an artist, you have to have something else that drives you, that you love, that you can do. Because... 
TV is slightly different because you can do a different TV show. But as an artist, like I can't be, well, arguably I could be, but I'm not anything other than JLS. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, people decide, you know what, we really don't like this new song single from JLS and they don't want to buy into it. And for whatever reason, that means that we're not able to sell out our arena tour. That impacts our livelihood. That impacts my family. That impacts each of us individually. But actually, if I have something else that underpins all that, then I can get back to doing it for the love of what it was about, whether Mm -hmm. it's just producing my own songs or releasing our own material. The focus is not about, you know what, this has to work because if it doesn't work, we can't do da 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 Do you know what I mean? And it gets back to that phase that we, or that state that we were in when we first started out of, we're doing this for the love of the fact that we want to get signed, we want to get music out there. With our kids, you mentioned kids there, you know, it's not easy because, you know, that's arguably the most important job that I do. So, you know, I'm always sort of juggling the different hats and interesting, people might not, understand, might not know this, but with the farm, I, I did actually start out by trying to have it just as farming. I wanted to set up like a great farm and have it just run as a business and not really do anything else. And then I thought to myself, do you know what? That's such a waste of my talents and my gifts. How much of a disservice would I be doing to that, to neglect all of that? Here, for most people, we've got about 12 acres. They think that's a lot of money. A lot of money, a lot of uh, space. <laughs> it is a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, 12 acres of money is a lot of money. Um, you know, they think 12 acres is a lot of space. But I know farmers who manage like thousands of acres, 100,000 acres. Like, we've not even got a pond. You know, we've got a little, uh, a little puddle. In comparison to yeah, that. Yeah. So in terms of scale and, and, and aspiration, perhaps that I might have of being the biggest farm or like doing the biggest thing or whatever, that's not going to be reality right here where we are now. And so I thought to myself, well, what can I do? Like if I look at those people, just say they've got 5,000 acres and they're a farmer, they can't sit on this morning and talk about how important the benefits of having homegrown food is. Or they can't do a dispatches about the farming industry, you know, in Brexit. Do you know what I mean? They can't do that. I can do that. So for me, it, it became a, a case of, well, I want to do something that I love, that I find is really important, which is having the farm. But at the same time, I can still use my gifts, my skills, my talents, my background, my experience to give back. I see myself now as a spokesperson for the industry, not because I'm the most knowledgeable or anything like that, but just be purely because I have the platform. It underpins everything else that I do. And I've been able to forge out an incredible television career, which I never really anticipated, mm. you know, and it's all been underpinned, as I say, by the farm and it's been nothing short of a blessing. Honestly, it's crazy from going from a pop star to a farmer and everything in between is just wild. We had little <laughs> like snapshots of your life through this whole chat. You're like JB the dad, you're JB the husband, you're JB from JLS, you're JB the farmer, JB the reality star. So what I want to ask you is what is real to you? Relationship is the ultimate reality for me, you know, because anything you do, whether it's being at home with a family or going onto a set and working in TV or in film or whatever, or it's being in a group producing music, whatever it might be, it's about relationship. This podcast wouldn't even happen, or this episode of the podcast, should I say, wouldn't happen if we didn't have a relationship. For me, relationship underpins absolutely everything. All the other stuff, no matter what you have, what house you live in, where you've come from, what you did in your career, none of that really matters. It's the relationships that you have that really support you in hard times, any difficulty, or even good times. You share it with your people, you know? And so for me, yeah, what's real is relationship. Oh, I love that. Summed and I up theology at uni, in it clearly, <laughs> clearly, yeah. I was like, uh huh. There's the education coming in there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jamie, for talking to me and sharing your reality of reality TV. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Blair. 
Ah, Jay, what a lovely guy. I really enjoyed that chat. And I think it was important to highlight the positive repercussions of reality TV. It's not all doom and gloom and the hard work can really pay off. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Reality of Reality TV and use the hashtag Reality of Reality TV on social media. You can tag me at Fleur East across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch me on Hits Radio Breakfast every morning from six and join me for more realities every Tuesday. In the next episode, I speak to the king of the jungle, my mate, known as MC Hazard to me, it's Harry Redknapp. The worst thing that happened was when Sandra said to me, what did you do when you was having a shower with Fleur? I went, what do you mean, what did I do? See you next time.